Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hey, 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 and welcome to the Feminist Book Club podcast, the show that brings you the best of the best feminist content. I'm your host, Neba from Notes by Neba, based in Ramaytush Ohlone Land, also known as San Francisco, California. And today we have a rare moment in this wonderful COVID world that we live in. I am here in person with one of my friends, Selena Chong, who is a journalist turned writer. Today we're going to be talking about her writing, basically kind of how she got into it, how she keeps it up, even though she has a full-time job, getting to all of that at the end. And I'm super stoked to have you on the show, Selena. Welcome to Feminist Book Club. I'm so honored to be here. We're here in my living room. And I've never, you know, hosted a podcast here before, so this is super exciting. (laughs) It's really exciting for me because usually I feel like I'm just kind of staring at people across Zoom. And so doing this in person, I'm like, oh, wow, sweet. An actual, like, bonding experience. Um, But enough of that. Let's get into your writing. Um, For our listeners, writing will always be in the description if you want to check out her stuff. You mentioned that you, like, are a journal. You were a journalist for a bit. Can you tell us a bit about, like, I guess how you got into it, how you got into writing, and what made you, I guess, get out of the journalism world? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. I would say I was just always that kid that always had her nose in a book. I would be <laughs> in classrooms, like the teacher would be talking, you know, about, you know, world wars or whatever. And I would just be like reading in my desk and I would get in trouble with, oh I'd get God. in trouble for it. <laughs> you would do that all the time. Yeah, I would sneak them into like the, the bathrooms yeah. and stuff. And I would just read in the middle of class and come back like 20 minutes later. Like, oh yeah, I just had a really long poop. Like... <laughs> That's freaking hilarious. No, I would like, it's like, it sounds so nerdy, but like at night, you know how people like sneak out, like cool kids sneak out. I would turn on my closet light and I would go into the corner of the closet and just read until 3 a.m. and go to bed. (laughs) So I was always that girl. And I think, you know, my head was always in this like fantasy world of just like reading and writing. And so I figured, okay, like in high school, like I, I did newspaper, I did writing. That was a really good way to kind of hone it in, in an educational setting. And so the next reasonable step, I think like after, you know, like, you know, loving writing and loving reading, I was like, okay, I think, you know, journalism is, you know, it includes writing. So like when I get into it, so there wasn't really like a concerted sort of plan behind my journalism career, but it was something that I genuinely enjoyed because I'm a very extroverted person. I like having conversation. I love talking to people. I like getting their perspective. And I think interviewing different people really taught me a lot about different subject matters that I wasn't familiar with myself. And so I dabbled into a lot of different types of journalism. I did like entertainment journalism. I did political journalism in DC, lived there for a bit. Um, but my like strong suits were like more tech and finance journalism. I won't lie, like money was kind of in it for me as well because you kind of earn more in those different spheres of journalism. But something about tech and like how cutting edge it was and how it was just constantly like changing and how, you know, when you talk to like VCs and CEOs, you can really sense like the passion behind their words and like the reason they built these startups and and these businesses. And so I think that's just kind of, it was like a natural progression on the way there. Um, but in terms of like why I wean, like weaned off of journalism, I think there were just a lot of different situations that, that, that kind of happened. Um, I think first, in terms of being in newsrooms, I felt like it was very like male dominated. I felt like my voice wasn't really heard. 
Um, there was a situation at CNBC where I had like a run in with a celebrity and cool. I like tweeted at him. So I tweeted at Martin Shkreli mm-hmm. and Farmer Bro, if you guys don't um, <laughs> really know about him, he's not really worth knowing. But at that time, <laughs> I think he had like jacked up the price of like this like life saving medicine, like 700%. Yeah. And a lot of my colleagues were also tweeting at him just to get a response back, not to like, you know, actually like poke the bear or anything. He was just, he, he would say things like, oh, like you liberal trash bag or whatever. And so I decided to do the same thing. Uh, he tweeted something about Trump. And so my response was, oh, are you tweeting behind metal bars right now? And I came back from the bathroom and I saw hundreds of notifications. Whoa. And I remember just being like absolutely stunned. I was like, what is happening? Like, why did he choose me to like bully? Wait, so did he respond? To your he tweet? responded and he was like, you liberal trash bag at Selena Chong at CNBC. Um, CNBC is like full of like, like liberal shitheads basically. And I was like a 21 year old intern. And so I called the managing editor and she kind of didn't really have my back. She was like, oh, like, go home, like, we'll investigate this. And in my head, I was like, what is there to investigate? (laughs) Um, But I found out later that he had called his lawyer. No. And his lawyer literally called the CNBC law department to sue me for libel. And if you know what libel is, it's written defamation. Uh Uh-huh. But number one, it was a tweet. So it was, it was first of all, it was a question. And it wasn't, like, written. It was literally social media. Mm Mm-hmm. So he didn't have any grounds whatsoever for trying to sue me. He was literally just trying to make my life miserable. Did CNBC at least, like, have your back? Did no. Did the legal team, like, help you at all, or...? So he didn't have any grounds, and, like, they knew that he didn't have any grounds, but it wasn't really even a slap on the wrist. I came into the HR office. They told me off. I cried. I remember it just being, like, the, the Wait, most so negative experience this CNBC ever. was mad at you? CNBC was horrified at me. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, it is. It was. It was really messed up, and I don't know if I told you the story before, but no, I remember haven't. just like being in the heart of New York City, just feeling the most alone that I've ever felt. I felt like I had to change my identity because friends were like messaging me from Facebook, and they were like, "Oh, is Martin Shkreli tweeting about you and like sending his trolls after you?" And like the answer is yes, he was. But I felt very alone, and I think that was like a culmination of just feeling alone in newsrooms, time to time. Just writing is a very lonely thing to do in general. And I think when you write journalism, there is such a majestic, noble purpose behind it. You are educating the masses and you are converting a lot of white noise into digestible information and people read it and they're kind of going about their day. You're kind of shouting into a void. Yeah. Especially with like internet and just like the amount of content that freaking exists now. Yeah. And like... Unless there's, like, a comment section, which people didn't even utilize when I wrote these stories. It's like, people aren't really responding in deep ways to what I wrote. And that's completely okay. I think journalism really serves its purpose in that sense. But I think, on one hand, it was like I was shouting into this void where no one was shouting back. And on another hand, I felt, like, just very alone constantly. And I think with this happening, it was, like, the straw that broke the camel's back. And I was like, I'm done with this. Like... I love writing. It is my first love. You know, there is a way to kind of preserve that, you know, googly eyed little girl who always like read in her closets and like read in her little, you know, like the little nooks and crannies of the desk (laughs) while the teacher was speaking. 
there's a way to preserve that, you know? And I felt like journalism wasn't the way to go about it. Yeah. So I parlayed a lot of my writing talent and I was like, I'm just going to write on my own and I'm going to do it the way I want in my own terms. And I am not going to be, I guess, surrendering to this like journalistic formula. And so I was like kind of swinging to the other side of the pendulum where I was like, oh, like screw journalism. Like I want to do the direct opposite. I want to write like poetry. I'm going to do spoken word. So I did poetry and spoken word for like a hot minute. It didn't really last that long. And then I was like, you know what? I am just going to write a newsletter, Substack and Tiny Letter. You know, those are very good platforms to like disseminate like content, especially when I have, you know, a lot of friends who are like, Selena, like you should write more, whatever. I'm like, screw it. Fine. Like, I'll do it. Yeah. So I thought about the different things that I could really write about. And I remember like just brainstorming just like so many things. Like I'm interested in music. I'm interested in X, Y, and Z. And at the end of the day, like I was just kind of thinking about like, what are the really shitty experiences that I went through as a human? And if my friends were asking me for advice about like how I got through it or, you know, I, there's like this, even like funnier things to like lighter things. Like one time I asked out like a rideshare driver and it was really <laughs> While dumb. you were in the rideshare? Literally not in the rideshare, but like afterwards, I remember like contacting support and like asking for his number. So just oh like <laughs> little dumb things like that. It's like, I guess people could take an interest in that. You know, it's like an interesting story. And I feel like I had some to share. I wasn't, I was certainly, I was, I don't know, like 23, just starting this newsletter. I certainly wasn't trying to give like sagely advice to people. I was just trying to, you know, kind of make sense of my own experiences. And on one hand, it was kind of cathartic to get that out. But I think on another hand, it's like when your friends just ask you to do something, you're like, okay, fine. You know, it, it's a lot less, you know, shouting to the void and you're like, okay, I'm going to get a response back. Like, I'm going to write this thing. People are going to feel a certain way about this. They, they might laugh about my dumb, like, rideshare driver experience. <laughs> they might feel, like, upset with me, you know, like, because I grew up in the church as well, and I had some, like, negative experiences there, like, they might relate in that sense. And that, to me, was just so much more powerful than any byline or headline that I've ever put together, even with, like, hundreds of thousands of people reading something. Like, that's really awesome. But if no one is really engaging and really connecting and taking something away from a piece of writing, it's just not as fulfilling, you know? So I think that's that was a really convoluted answer, but there's a lot of reasons why I just stepped away from journalism. And I could literally keep talking about this forever, but yeah, no, um, it sounds you have like other questions a... too, so I want to get to those. <laughs> yeah, no, you're good. You're good. Yeah, yeah. Um, it sounds like writing personal essays really kind of was the, the move for yeah. you to like figure out which style of writing you yeah. wanted. And I really like that, you know, you've described how you started off realizing that you liked writing, trying out one form, and then realizing it didn't fit for you, and then kind of switching and finding what did work for you. I think a lot yeah. of people, like, whether it's writing or any other hobby, they'll, like, try it out, and then maybe that format of whatever they tried out, like, didn't work for them, whether it's, like, maybe they went to a yoga class and didn't like, like the teacher, or maybe they, like, tried out, like, cooking something and they just didn't like the cuisine, instead of just giving up on it, like, trying to find what does work for you and what can work with your lifestyle is yeah. a really great way of, like, I don't know, still, like you said, like kind of keeping that girl who's like reading in the corners and still really into just writing and reading and connecting with others and connecting with stories. And 
you know, you mentioned you were really into journalism because of like how extroverted you are. And definitely I can attest to this, guys. Selena's super, super <laughs> extroverted. Um, but, you know, that's also kind of reflected in your personal essays is like you want that element of, of human connection between you and your reader way more so than like anything else here. Um, going yeah. to your, I guess, like your newsletters, you've written that like honest fiction is a gritty selfie in newsletter form. And I really like <laughs> that like phrase. So what do you hope people, I guess, like, take out of your writing when you write now? Do you kind of like think with that end in mind, write with that end in mind? Or do you like, I don't know, pick the feelings that you want to invoke out of them? I think there's a, there's definitely a mix. Um, I just, I think the most powerful things I've ever read are, you know, like I'll read something, I'll take something away from it. And I honestly think with like these memoirs and these different essays, it's like when you watch reality TV, you can kind of just see like events just trespassing like in front of you and you're like, wow, like that person went through that so I didn't have to. Or you look at it and you're like, oh, that was just really amusing for Mm -hmm. me to see. And I think in a sense, writing is like that for me too and like different events that have like happened to me. It's like a lot of these, so I, I think I write in a certain format and I think I like formatting it in like dark humor mixed with prose. And I feel like the way in which these words are conveyed is really important too because it's like there's a difference between um like me kind of telling it exactly the way it is as I'm telling it to you in like conversational format versus you know like when you read like a young adult novel or you read like a fiction book it's like you kind of read the dialogue and you kind of see it happening and unfolding in front of you in real time so that's what I was trying to encapsulate with the memoirs just like you're in this like fiction novel, which is why it's called honest fiction. It kind of reads like a fiction novel, but it's not, it's not fiction. It's honest. And everything that you read, everything you read in any of these stories has actually happened to me. And yes, I might like dive into something for color, but in terms of like facts, it's, it's always, it's a hundred percent true. So I think in one sense, I wanted to like just entertain my friends to be honest, they were like, oh, like, you should write about, like, you know, asking out your rideshare driver. <laughs> and another end, it's like, yeah, I grew up, you know, in this church and, you know, this, like, I had just, like, really negative experience with, like, church moms. And there was, like, this entire, like, um, chatter of, like, church moms and, like, my hometown kind of group of friends. And it's like, wow, I should really write about that because people will will resonate with it in some sort of way. How did you get comfortable, like, being so vulnerable in your writing? Because these are all, like, real experiences, but they're all, like, they're pretty deep. Like, you write about some deep shit. Yeah, I would say it really helps to... That's a really good question. I I feel like I read a lot of other vulnerable writings by, like, other authors. And so when I read Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner, for example, or, like, Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett, or literally any of these, like... POC, like, authors, it's, like, they, I saw, like, I saw them kind of just really delve into, like, personal experiences, like, super raw. Like, sometimes you read it and you're, like, this is a train wreck that I can't tear my eyes away from because it's really dramatic and it's so real. And there's a certain emotional investment you have when you read something, right? Or, like, when you watch, like, a really sad movie, you're, like, kind of crying along with it. Yeah. And so... And good writing, like, takes you along that journey, too. And actually, you know... Exactly. Uh, Crying in H-Mart was uh, Feminist Book Club's book of the month for January. 
And oh. um, so we all like collectively like read this <laughs> right. book together and the community like group chat was just like exploding with just the sheer amount of like raw feeling that the author really like conveyed in all this. And like, I think by being more vulnerable and more like honest with stuff, you can actually find readers that like connect with you harder. Because if you're just generic, exactly. then you're just not going to connect with anybody, right? Like, it's just too generic for anyone to be like, oh, yeah, that specifically. I really, real hard. And the only risk you run is that, like, maybe a childhood friend would be like, oh, like, why did you write about me? Which I have run into before. <laughs> or how did you deal with that? It's a little awkward. So I try to tell people before I write about them. But, you know, it's a, it's like a, it's like you're towing like a very, not like fine line. You're just, it's a very great area, you know, like. I think, like it's, I think it's the respectful. Stuff, right? it's, a, like, it's, it's a respectful thing to do, I think, yeah. to tell someone you're about to write this whole thing on them. But if they're, like, kind of participating in, like, certain parts of the dialogue um, versus, you know, if you read about, like, a whole thing about someone else, I, I think if you don't really make them the centerpiece of the story, there's no need to, like, have to say, like, hey, I'm writing about you, by the <laughs> way. I feel like that's just, like, unnecessary. But kind of back to the main point, I feel like when people just talk about, Alan, this is kind of like a trite, like, popular reference but like taylor swift right like you listen to all too well and you're just kind of like sitting in your car just playing it over and over again maybe you got like ghosted by your crush and you're just like (laughs) crying and sobbing like i feel like she is so good at writing songs that really uniquely apply to so many people and you play it over and over again so like i feel like i want my writing pieces in a strange sense to be that like raggedy like Taylor Swift song that you like listen to over and over again and that you remember and you're like wow like that person also went through this so I'm not alone yeah so when you look at like I guess your whole life because all these things are coming from your experiences how do you decide like what becomes a story or like what is enough to like spark like a whole story hmm it's a good question I would say my life I mean compared to so many other people's it's just so hopelessly it's like it's a, I live a very charmed life and I think a lot of us do um, and so I do want to like recognize like the crazy amount of privilege I've had throughout my life. And so like, I think it's really important for me to not just like pick up certain experiences and just create sob stories for the sake of creating sob stories. But I think there's just some interesting experiences out of, you know, growing up in a church and having very conservative parents. And I think just like different discussions with friends just throughout the years, they kind of talk about um, disparities they have in terms of like what their parents want for them. Oh my God, yeah. And oh my God, like I can literally have a round table discussion on this for hours. I'm like, how do I encapsulate this into a single story? How do you get it all down to be such a, such a tiny piece, you know, especially because so you're not difficult. writing like a whole ass book, right? You're writing just like these tiny little things that can fit into someone's like inbox and be read in like a single page in like four minutes. It takes a lot of practice. I will say. I am the kind of person, like, even when you're talking to me, I feel like I I just go into tangents and tangents, but I feel like with a short story or, like, a memoir, it's like a microcosm of, like, a whole world, right? Like, if you are writing, like, a fiction story or if you're writing a memoir, a lot of what I had to do was just experiment and, like, screw up again and again and again. And I think a lot of it is not really necessarily explaining the way that things worked and the way that things are, but just showing like showing it and not necessarily telling yeah I think another thing is something that I've had to really get good at is when I think about a story I think about the ending what is the ending of the story and I work a little bit backwards and I try to write 
like if you think about it in a timeline and you think about the ending being like the very end point, I try to write when it's like, like I try to write as close to the end as possible, if that makes any sense. So yeah, what so I'll it do, cuts out all the frivolous parts. And cuts out all the frivolous parts because if you explain like, oh, like, you know, I grew up doing this and doing this. No, like there's a lot of ways that you can imply that you grew up doing something and that your dad always did something or your mom always did something. Um, without having to really delve into it and, like, make it, like, a whole paragraph. I think the beauty of a novel is, like, wow, you can, like, capture all these nuances in writing. But I think with short stories, it's, like, a certain type of talent that you need to be able to say, like, okay, how do I cut out all those tangents? How do I cut out all that white noise? And how do I start as close to the end as possible and work a little bit backwards to see where the story should actually start? That's been a struggle for me. But... Um, I would say, like, there's also a stream of consciousness. I'm not going to lie. Like, sometimes I'm like, I don't even know what's going to happen next. Like, I'm not going to even plan. I'm just going to keep writing until it doesn't make sense anymore. And I'm just going to go back and do line edits. So I really like the word vomit method because then it just helps me, like, get everything out of my head and then, like, on something. And I'm like, okay, now I can start, like, looking at what exists and just, like, cut pieces out because now I know that whatever needs to be there is there. And whatever doesn't need to be there, I can just remove later. I found in my experience that the most important part of writing is the word vomit part. And a lot of people never start novels. They just can't finish their projects because they're so obsessed with it being perfect. And mm-hmm. I think that's something... Oh my god, yeah. That's a hump I've had. I'm still getting over that hump. Like, Dude, the let's perfectionism struggle is so real. I feel like I, I keep reminding myself you have to make bad art to make good art. Like, you just have to finish the fucking thing and, like, move on, do the next project. So that's the best way to, like, learn. How are you going to f- figure out how you're going to end things and create a new thing and finish that and move on until you do it, right? Just get the goddamn words on the page and just keep writing. And even with, even if it's without direction, even if you're going, even if you're like describing like a chair and it's like taking up three pages, <laughs> describe that motherfucking chair. Describe the shit out of that chair. <laughs> and like, let it be, you know, like there's maybe a reason you're doing that and just let yourself write because I think it's the momentum your mind really like builds off of to complete something. I completely forgot what the original question was, but I think (laughs) you're good. No, I think like to write a short story, it's like, it's hard, but it's easier in some ways too. You know, like I, I think like it doesn't require as much dedication and like perfectionism in terms of like getting the details right. But I do think, like, it's so hard to kind of encapsulate, like, an entire feeling or entire world in in just, like, a page or two. But you do such a great job of it. Like, one of my favorite... One of my favorite stories that you wrote, which is linked in the description, is about your relationship with your father. And there's all these, like, little nuanced phrases that you use to kind of, like... You're talking about something that's happening over a couple days or whatever, and even in those few days, you'll use phrases that, like, harken back to, like, years and years and years. And in that sense, like kind of paint the picture in this way and I'm curious like kind of how exactly like your race and your culture like comes out when you're writing and how exactly you like write about this especially to an audience that might not be the same cultural ethnicity Mm. like how do you kind of convey these things that are like so nuanced and you know when you're part of the diaspora like being Asian American not just like Asian right there's some parts that are similar some parts that are different and it's so nuanced how do you get that across in such a small like like context I would say a lot of it is when I'm explaining to my various white friends about how it's like <laughs> to grow up Asian, I think that's kind of what it is. It's, it's a conversation you're having. And like when I talk about, oh my gosh, my parents were so strict in high school. 
They're always like, okay, well, like, can you explain how? Or they'll think strict is something like, oh, you had to be home at 10 p.m. Like, bruh, no. Bullshit! I will be home at 7 p.m. with my ass through that door. Yeah. And if I wasn't home, I'd be grounded, like, 3x longer. Oh so, like... I didn't even have a phone for most of high school because I kept getting grounded and they would just take my phone away for, like, three months. And so my, like, social life three was months. stunted as fuck. <laughs> yeah, right? It was awful. It was so bad because everyone around me would be like texting each other and I'd just be like, okay, I guess I'll just be a loner now because I have no other option. Oh my god. No, like that is like literally so triggering because like I had a phone, but they would take advantage of me having a phone because my parents are both ITs. So they ex- installed like find my friends. They installed like GPSs into my shit. So they were tracking everything. They were tracking me. So it's like an example of that. Okay, to answer your question, to kind of circle back. Um, I would say what I want to explain to like people that are not within this racial identity, this like circle, I think about what are like the top stories that I can muster and just visualize and how can I paint a picture for them so that they really understand it's not just 10 p.m. It's literally 7 p.m. And like, what are these crazy things that my parents did when I was in high school? And like, how can I make them into little stories? So like, I usually think of like, five different things that would answer a question so like maybe the question is like how was it like growing up asian or how was it like growing up in a white suburb or how was it like were you like the only asian at your school definitely not definitely not very far from but i think you know maybe it was like how was it like kind of struggling with like your religious identity and also being asian because like there was this like asian like, Christian church that I was a part of for the longest time, and a lot of, like, what I knew, just, like, this bubble. It's so crazy. I look back at it now, and I'm like, wow, I literally thought this way. I was about to join a purity conference. I was literally, I literally got assigned to, like, this mentor, and she just kind of looked at me the whole time and told me about how I shouldn't do X, Y, Z. Like, I shouldn't, like, talk to boys. I shouldn't, you know, blah, 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 blah. A lot of fear-based teachings. A lot of fear-based teaching. And so I think about those examples and I try to think about how I would illustrate those examples if I were to speak to a white person um, and kind of, but still kind of like tell it from like an honest perspective. And so when it comes to writing those like short stories, I think the one about my dad, you, you kind of brought that up. I would think about, okay, how do I describe my dad in a way that's not like, oh, he's really generous. I think about the times that he, you know, we brought our family friends out to like a K barbecue restaurant and we would have fun. And at the end, there's always like, like this annoying, like dance slash battle between two families, like paying the bill or whatever. And my dad would always pull this trick where he would like go to the bathroom, quote unquote. Oh yeah. And then while you're at the bathroom. And while he's in the back, while he's in the bathroom, he would find the waiter and just pay for the whole thing yeah and so i think just like the act of like my dad you know covering all of it just like visualizing him tapping the waiter in the shoulder covering it putting his card down saying like it's for everyone i I kind of think about that like little moment and i try to like work that story around that little moment yeah, this is the prime example of how to do show, not tell folks this right here. <laughs> Selena's so good at that. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, and like, I think about, okay, what's like a really weird, awkward moment that I've had with my dad? And I think, and like, a really like, like nice moment, but it's like, you know, I I don't have like a traditional 
like, relationship with my father where it's like, oh, I can easily just say, like, hi, dad, like, I love you, blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's a weird thing to say. To it's a really weird thing to say in a Asian family, and a lot of people yeah. don't understand that. Like, when I tell my Caucasian friends or just other friends, like, even my, like, Latino friends or my Latinx friends, they're like, are you serious? Yeah. And I'm like, it's all I've ever known. So, yeah. And so, it's not like they're saying it to you. Like, so you can't just randomly be like, oh, I love you, parent. Like, okay. And so I think about a time where, like, my dad is conveying that he loves me. And he is very much so, like, an acts of service man. And so I think about the times where my family's on vacation and he'll take a million pictures of all of us because he wants <laughs> to, like, so desperately kind of, like, remember that for years to come. And it's very sweet. But, like, when he tries to take the pictures, he'll say something. He'll always do this. He still does this. He did it last Christmas. He'll always go, like, big cheese. Like, he'll say big cheese and, like, we're in public and I just want to cower and I'm just like, oh, my God, like, you're embarrassing me. (laughs) Or, you know, he'll, like, help me with, like, my math problems. Like, I'll call him up and, you know, he's the one person that's so reliable. He's, like, the constant in my life I can ask for help. And so he has been that kind of, like, signal, that kind of pinnacle, like, of help that, you know, throughout life. He's kind of just always there. And whenever I need something, I, I call him up and I ask him for help. And so I think about those things, um, you know, when people would usually think like, oh, like my dad, like, I, oh, like I know my dad loves me because he's doing X, Y, and Z. Or I can just talk about these different things and the reader can get a sense that he does love me through these things. Yeah. But they wouldn't quite understand that if I had just said like, oh, no, he like helps me with my math problems. So like, we're all good. <laughs> it's like, I have to really expound, you know, I, I really have to expound on that story. And I have to really talk about, you know, the way he is so attentive when I ask him these questions and the way that he throws these parties for everyone, the way he pays for the bill. And, you know, for my birthday, like I've always wanted dogs. And so he sent me like four furry little stuffed animal dogs, just like little things like that. And it's like, it's like those little, those little moments. It's like those things matter, you know, it's very nuanced. And I think you can kind of paint the nuances and little stories like that. Yeah. I think also having an eye for like, Picking them out, project, like pr- portraying them the right way. Um, that's really like what you're honing every time you're like practicing writing over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, so now you have a full time job, but <laughs> you mentioned you have like taken this writing course last year, and you're taking another one coming up soon too, aren't you? Um, I'm really nervous for that one. <laughs> <laughs> How do you like manage both of these things? Because if you're writing, like if you're working full time, but you're also writing in your free time, how does this work out in your life? Yeah. Honestly, it's like, it's like working out. It's like hanging out with a friend. You have to like schedule. You have to really, really, really intentionally slot that in. And I will say like, how is it working out? It's kind of not. What I have to do is I have to kick my own ass and like liar, like light a fire under my ass in terms of like taking a class. I have to, um, really schedule it. I have to be super intentional. So last year I took the short story class through a platform called Catapult through this amazing author, Peyton Burgess. And um, it was this really great high-touch class where I was with like seven other people and we were workshopping each other's work. And oh my gosh, it was a really fucking intense class. I had to write two short stories within like a few weeks. And oh my gosh, I would always forget like, oh, like I'm workshopping someone else's story this week. But it also meant I had to keep writing my story. Mm -hmm. So Um, you're constantly just writing or editing or writing or editing. So to be honest, um, I didn't go about it the best way. I would like wait a few days before the class and then just like type all of it. (laughs) I really, really highly don't recommend. It's kind of like when you're taking a math final and like you squeeze all the knowledge like the night before. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I highly don't recommend that. It's just not sustainable. 
I would say I'm still learning, honestly, like how to juggle all of that. And like right now, I'm not even writing, but I do kind of think about this class I'm about to take to be like this whole kind of marathon that I'm kind of starting to train for. Yeah. Um, and do you have like a vision for where you want your writing to go in the next couple of years or like what you want it to turn into? Yeah. Yeah. I think just like I've always known that I'd be an author, but I think if you like looked at my life for like the past year, you just wouldn't think that that would be my aspiration because there are so many other things that, you know, that I had going on in my life. I just kind of put writing in the back burner. Um, but taking this class is going to be a way for me to not put it on the back burner. So if I have to get 5,000 words written a week, which is the requirement for the class, I'll just have to find a way to do that. Yeah. Regardless of, you know, hell or high water. Like, I, you know, if I have birthday parties that week, if I have to work long hours, no, I just have to turn this in, you know? It's a good um, way of, like, keeping yourself accountable for it. Yeah. It's like lighting a fire underneath my own ass, and I'm going to have to <laughs> do it week after week. So I'm kind of scared. But it's going to be amazing, kind of, like, beautiful in the whole process because it's like, wow, just think about... If I can produce two short stories in a few weeks, you know, last year, just think about, like, you know, how much more it could be possibly this year. But also, this is not a short story class. So I really have to think about, you know, not just a short story. How do I plan something out for, like, a greater novel or, like, a manuscript? So, yeah, I have a few ideas, but... Yeah. Do you have any, like, I love that you have, like, taken writing this thing that you really like and continued to keep it as part of your life, even if it's not something that you're doing, like, every single freaking day. It's still something you're thinking about and you're collecting all these, like, moments in your life in order to be able to, like, write about them later. Mm -hmm. Do you have um, any tips for people who are trying to stop this, like, I don't know, I feel like there's a lot of capitalist idea of, like, every single hobby of mine needs to become a source of income, passive income for the win, blah, blah, blah. Oh, my gosh. Like, do you have any opinions on this? I guess. I think, like, it kind of depends on the degree in which you want to, like, profit off of it. Because I think blog writing, I think, like, fashion writing, for example, like, Instagram, like, you know, influencers, they have, like, blogs and, like, monetize your blogs. I think there is, like, a certain goal behind that. Um, It's all writing and it's all great. And, like, I will never say, like, one type of writing is better than the other. But I think with the type of writing that I, I do... I think it's better to focus way more on niche. So, like, you have to think about, like, what is my niche? Like, what can I talk about? What can I write about? And this is this is going to be a really cliche answer, but I think a lot of it will come through, like, journaling. And I think a lot of it will come through, like, just, like, word vomit, honestly. Just think about... Crazy how doing the thing helps you get better at the thing. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I think, like, everyone has their own perspective and their unique experiences that literally no one else can say they've had. Mm-hmm. And so even if you feel as though there's someone, you know, out there that can do it better than you can or someone who's, like, monetizing it, I think you just really have to come up with, like, okay, what is my niche and... What are these like honest stories that I can really tell people and how can I collect these little moments to really, if I were to kind of explain it to a friend, I would talk about these little moments and I can like appropriately convey it to them so that they'll understand like the look and feel of the story. Um, so I, I would think about that. I would think about, you know, like what is the goal first of all? And like number two, how do I collect these little moments? How can I really show, not tell, like how can I, you know, tell these, tell these like little stories and kind of cut through the white noise and kind of just like put it out there and like number three I would say you just gotta start writing man like you gotta word vomit it out yeah because if you don't start 
then you never will, you know? Yeah. You got to be really intentional about it. And for anyone who wants to do, like, a Substack or a tiny letter, I think it's a good entryway into, like, more, like, published writing or, you know, because I feel like with, with Substack, it's, like, you can just literally sit down and just, like, start typing out whatever on your laptop. And you don't need, like, thousands of subscribers. You can literally just get your top 10 friends to just, like, be your diehard subscribers. And <laughs> to be honest, like, the fact that you send it out to 10 people and they're getting it to their inbox and they're reading it and they're responding to it, it really does something for the motivation, at least for me, when I know that people are responding it, responding to it and they relate to it. I'm like, wow, like, I want more people to relate to this and I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and I'm going to let the work speak for itself. I think it's also good to, like, not have an ex- expectation like, oh, like, I'm going to write the next American great novel. It's all about the small steps. Yeah. So it's about, like, okay, get the... It's about the journey, not the end goal. <laughs> it's about, like, getting it out there, yeah. right? Like, if you really like writing, it's, like, then just write. And if you want to write about something, it's, like, okay, then, you know, kind of keep keep an eye on the prize, keep an eye on the goal, and then just start writing, like... There is never really a promise. Like, writing is such a crapshoot, especially in publication, in the publication world. Like, you can write for, like, your entire life and never have anything published. And it's just a really, really fucking gutting reality of this industry. It's like, when you make music, you know, like, when you when you write songs and then you, like, produce music, it's like, you might never become, like, Diplo or, like, Katy Perry or whatever. And so I think it's good to, like, manage your expectations, but I think in managing your expectations, you will be really focused on, like, actually honing the craft and honing the journey. And um, if you decided, you know, take these classes as a forcing mechanism, I think it kind of marries the two where it's like, okay, word vomiting, but also, you know, an instructor will really kind of give it to you straight and, like, help you manage your expectations. And So that um, way you're getting better and you're still practicing. You're getting better and you're practicing and you're practicing. And if you really want to get there, just keep on doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Selena. It's been really awesome having having you here and really awesome <laughs> recording with someone in person for once. Right. For sure. Um, listeners, if you guys have a topic you'd like to discuss or a question you have for me, my DMs are always open. You can find me on pretty much any platform, YouTube, Insta, Twitter, TikTok, at Notes by Neba. That's all for now, and I'll see you on the next page. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for Brownie Points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. A well-read woman is a dangerous creature, creature.